0: You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric.
1: Hey, Josh. How's it going today? I'm excited about our next topic. Church planting, something that missionaries love to talk about. Isn't that right?
0: Yes, this is what it's all about, right? It is about church planting. This is the really the heart of what God has called us to do, to plant churches, cultivate churches, and uh, be involved in the church work. Of course, while you were on deputation, you went from church to church, raising support, deputizing churches to get behind you, and you told your churches that your plan was to go plant churches you are a church planting missionary okay what exactly does that entail now we know what the church is right the church is the family of god um Mm -hmm. you probably have a good definition we were talking earlier how would you describe the church because you really if you're going to say you're church planting let's first of all establish what's the church
1: yeah i mean i think we all who are uh, baptist brothers and sisters understand the new testament pattern of a church it's that that wonderful word, ecclesia, a local assembly of believers who've committed themselves to Christ by faith and each other, and that they gather each uh, first day of the week, and they teach and preach the Word of God. We celebrate communion and baptism, and we, we disciple our members, and we, we establish a biblical structure of leadership. And, of course, we pray and we give together, and that's what we Think of when we look at the New Testament pattern of a church, and that's what we have committed to do as men and women of faith to go into other cultures and re uh, reestablish or, or begin new churches, new local ecclesias in uh, places that don't have them.
0: That's right I mean if you if you as a missionary uh, can't define the church then um, you don't really have any business being a missionary quite yet. That being said, <laughs> we not every missionary, okay, is a church planting missionary, but especially among our circles with the independent fundamental Baptist circles uh, of churches, um, we emphasize, Church planting, and rightly so. That's the emphasis of the New Testament. Uh, Church church planting involves and it entails cultivating discipleship, evangelism, soul winning, uh, just your basic fundamentals of getting the gospel out. And generally, when we talk about church planting, we're talking about going to a, a location. Where there is either no church or maybe there is a, a just a mi- minor church presence, um, and so when you told your churches you're going to be a church planting missionary, how would you define a church planting missionary uh, as opposed to maybe just a missionary going to work in another line of service?
1: Yeah, you know, it's true. It's obvious that um, those in our circles, and I'm speak of you know the Baptist, independent Baptist circles, even other uh, types of Baptists, we all kind of understand now that exactly what you just said there you go there to evangelize disciple but ultimately is to plant a new church where there are believers and then eventually they are um they are i'm thinking in spanish now self-supporting self-leadership and and you as the missionary can step aside and that work will go on uh whereas maybe 50 100 years ago the word missionary sometimes had a term that kind of Encapsulated anybody who went away from their country to do work for the Lord, but we're specifically talking about those who go to another culture to start a New testament church to with the the purpose of training leaders to take over that church and then see it go on for generations to come
0: that's right and' so today 's episode we really wanted to look at some of the practical aspects of launching a church plant. If you are a church planting missionary, if you are raising support to go to the field as a church planting missionary, uh, or even just the church planting pastor, I think there are some principles that we are going to talk about today that we learned in the first few years of our church launch and our church planting experience that I think would not only benefit future missionaries or the prospective missionary seeking to get his church started, but also pastors in the States. Because I'll be honest with you, the more and more you look at America, the more and more I look at that country as being a mission field. Uh, We are, the culture is changing so rapidly Mm -hmm. that we need men with a missionary mindset uh, to plant churches in the united states so i think this is going to be universally applicable and so we're going to talk a little bit about some practical aspects that maybe next week or in the next couple weeks we're going to talk a little more about the philosophical aspects and principles of church planning that we learned uh, how to how to establish an indigenous church how do you get to uh, that point things like that eric when you got to the field you knew you're called of god You raise support to go as a church-planning missionary. You have your sending church behind you. You have God's call on your life. So when you got to the field... It was easy, right? Everything just fell into place, and you knew exactly what to do to get a church launched. Am I off on that?
1: Oh, boy. It was nothing easier in the world to do start church. I mean, everything we thought we would do, we did it the first year. No, it's completely opposite. Uh, you go with a plan, but, boy, you, in the, the words uh, every missionary explains to you right away. Be flexible. Because things are going That's to change. Right. And so uh, mission life and starting a church is exactly that, like that. You had to be flexible. Absolutely.
0: So uh, tell us a little bit before we get into some of uh, the principles and practical aspects. Just tell us a little bit about your church plan. Tell us a little bit about your story, um, you know where you ended up we talked about this a little bit in our first uh, episode you can go back to the uh, introduction episode learn a little bit more but just tell us uh, how when did you start the church you know where are you guys at in your church plant and then let's let's talk a little bit about uh, how you began that process of getting the church started
1: uh, okay so real, real briefly we arrived on uh, february 14th 2009 valentine's day you can always remember that it's very easy uh and we had the goal that within a few months we were going to start a Bible study, which we did in June, um, like I said, when we came to our city, if you've heard the other podcasts before and when we gave our introductions, we didn't know anybody, so we really had to just start meeting anybody and everybody we could, giving tracks, uh, sharing the gospel, uh, t- uh, seeing people saved and then then June there, after being there a number of months, we had a Bible study that we had, we had rented a storefront with the purpose of starting the church in August, but we decided. Let's give it a few weeks of Bible study and see how things go. And, you know, people slowly uh, would come and visit once in a while. And uh, we had a target date of August 9th, 2009, where our home church was coming down to help us, uh, uh, you know, canvas the city real well. And we were going to have some special events. We did a whole weekend worth of events and really tried to get our name out specifically in the community with some. Uh, we did a family fair, we did a movie night, and then we had our kickoff Sunday morning. And so we did what most people did, you know, tried to think of ways to get the word out, and then our pastor came down, uh, he spoke, preached in English, we translated, and we had a great, uh, wonderful first service, and that was exciting, the first service, but tell you what, from that, every service on, uh, we were always trying to fight to get to that original number, but it was always exciting, and so that's how we started our church for a number of years, Um, we just kept growing growing and in the last couple of years, we've been able to send out two other church planters. So now we're working more in mentoring with that, but still I'm pastoring this first church, and uh, we're 12 years in, and we uh, we really love it.
0: Tell me a little bit about the culture around where you planted the church. When you got started, how do people view church? Like when they hear the word church, what do people think of? And then more specifically, when they hear Baptist church, what do they think of? Is Christianity part of the culture there? Or are you starting from, what things in their mindset did you have to change? Are you starting from scratch, building up a foundation of even what is Christianity all about? Are you dealing with misconceptions? So what was the average, when you said we're, we're starting a, a-, a- is Baptista La Verde, is that how you say it? When Close. you're starting this Baptist <laughs> church, w- what do people think uh, when they hear church and then Baptist church more specifically? What, what did you deal with there?
1: So, uh, first of all, the Dominican Republic, uh, you know, is very well known for actually having the oldest Catholic cathedral in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, Columbus landed here, and one of the things he brought was Catholicism. So it is a very, very religious uh, culture, between the Catholic influence and even in the last forty years, the Pentecostal movement. So there's a there's a great uh, do a great respect given to those who spend their time uh, with the Word of God. So we 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 were received very well in that sense. Now specifically to uh, being a Baptist, that was a word that was a word that was just like from outer space to them. They, they, in our town specifically. Most people I've met in the last 12 years were very unfamiliar with Baptists. In fact, whenever I would say Baptists, they kind of would try to correct me. They thought I was saying Adventists, because actually the Adventists in this region of the country are pretty popular. So it took a long time. Uh, In in, in our culture, you, you actually have to say we are evangelicals. Uh, we are evangelical Baptists, and, and the reason we say that is because they actually, in this culture, understand that evangelical means that you're not Catholic, and then you're not um, basically in a, in a very um, uh, Pentecostal movement. You're not in a real, in real uh, maybe we'll call them, a outlandish or out in left field Pentecostal church. So that it's more of your mainline Christianity, and they can understand that. But the word Baptist actually didn't mean anything to them, and so. Starting from that context, it really was just trying to introduce people to uh, what we believe as Baptists. And, and our little tagline, Iglesia Bautista La Verdad, that's Truth Baptist Church, is predicando la verdad, which is preaching the truth. And so we just always basically explained to people, our church is a Bible church, a church that preaches the Word of God. And so what the Bible says is what we believe, and that's what we teach. And that was probably the easiest way we tried to explain to people about coming and visiting our church.
0: That's a very similar experience with us here in Senegal. When we use the word church, people automatically equated that to Catholicism. And so we were actually advised not to put the word church up on our building. Catholicism, church is identified as Catholicism. Uh, and then Catholicism is, a, is synonymous with drunkards. Okay, so it's just the way it is here in this country anyways. Oh, wow. So working in an Islamic country we and we'll talk a little bit about how we got our church launched maybe next week but um, that was part of the process was we had to decide how we were going to brand ourselves if you want to say it that way Um, we didn't use the word Christian we we say we're disciples of Jesus and then um, but we were we were told if you use the word Baptist that actually will help you a lot Baptists have a good uh, testimony even among the Muslims here and so we didn't call ourselves a church but we called ourselves Baptist Center for a while until our church actually got started but uh, we'll chat a little bit about that later what was um, you know as you got your church started as people came to church the first question i have what was the stigma for attending your uh, you know a church like a baptist church okay did family look down on maybe a family member who's catholic attending your church or is church attendance okay if they just come and check it out and then what were people most surprised about when they came to your church that maybe was different than what they were used to with church?
1: Well, that's, that's a lot. Uh, the first, the first one I would say is, um, I probably didn't understand as much as I do now, maybe some of the cultural overtones of what it would be like to go to be part of a church where there's not only a gringo pastor, uh, but that it's evangelical if they came from a strict Catholic background. But you know, every city in the Dominican is different. Some cities are more Catholic than others, if you can say it in such a way. Uh, our city is actually maybe not uh, as as predominantly Catholic in many ways. Because I learned this too. I kind of had this sense that we were coming that it was going to be like 95% Catholic. And we would have a lot of these issues with people, as you're mentioning, having the stigma of going to our church. And it really wasn't the case because I've noticed it was almost a generational divide. Probably the 40-year-olds and younger have really been attracted to Um, either Pentecostal churches or evangelical churches that have a lot of Pentecostalism in them. And so it really was like, oh, this is kind of like the church I visited before, Uh, but maybe the biggest difference would be, and this is just obvious maybe from our background being independent Baptists, is our mode of worship. Dominicans are very viva, it would be the word, very excitable, and so it just pours out of them in their worship. And for us to be very conservative in our music was a, big surprise and a big change and um, something that even for a lot is still to this day is a, something to, to, to very uh, it's very difficult to have an adjustment to that but I think those who have stayed around have predominantly told me the reason they st- stayed around is that they had never been to a church where someone opened the Bible and explained to them what it meant and that they could understand for themselves and apply it to their lives and so that makes our job a lot easier understanding that people still receive the Word of God, and our job is just to preach it to them and teach it to them so they can apply it to their lives. That's
0: great. That's very similar to the testimony here. People attend our church, and they go away with that sense of you're gonna, they know they're going to get the Word of God. We may not be dancing and everything like they do at some of the other churches, but they're going to walk <laughs> away with the Word of God, and I think that's so important to establish, especially in the early days of your church plant. Now, I want to get to the day you mentioned earlier uh, when you launched, you had your church come down from the States. You had a big launch, you know, big open house Sunday, your first day. I want to get there, but I want to go go through the process of getting to that day. So let's go back not only to how you got to that day, how, you, how did you reach people? Were you gathering with people, doing discipleship? But let's go even before that. How, how did you decide where you were going to start your church? What went into that decision-making? You got, you got to the Dominican. Had you already decided where you were going, and why did you decide there? And then secondly, as you get to why you decided the city you went to, how did you begin? Where did you go within the city? How did you start the process of just letting people know who you are and what you're doing?
1: so uh i was very blessed to be able to go visit the dominican on several survey trips and as we narrowed down uh the region mostly the northern region of the country we chose because the lord allowed us to see it and we saw the great need in our town when we arrived i only i only knew of two specific what i believe were bible preaching churches at the time um and in our 12 years other than the churches we've helped establish which are three uh, i only know one other church so there's three that we haven't started and then our three in a city of about a quarter of a million people. So uh, the need was great. Uh, There were obviously poorer areas, middle-class areas, upper, upper middle-class areas, uh, country. Um, And where do we start? Well, I think this is where each missionary honestly has to be uh, very honest with themselves, talk to others, um, assess with their family. You know, where do you think the Lord wants us to start? For us, the Lord directed us to a very middle class, uh, even some upper middle class area here in town. In our, our mindset, through much prayer and, and talking to other better missionaries, because of the Dominican culture, they highly respect those people who are educated, those who are professional. They automatically have just some sense of respect for them in the Dominican culture that we felt that if we could start from a church, a home base like that, we could train others to go to other areas of the city. It's not uncommon that someone who had more education could go to another area and people would respect them highly. Unfortunately, which is the case in many cultures, not just the Dominican culture, somebody of lesser means and lesser education, sometimes if they try to come into a, a more educated society, they aren't as well received. So that was just a simple cultural um, and prayerful decision we made to start in a, in a uh, more middle class area. and. I'll say this, it's also a lot harder sometimes because of those who know from the states, sometimes you go into a middle class or upper middle class area, those people have more means, uh, more things to do. A lot of times they don't rely on the Lord. It's harder to get them to see their necessity to depend on Him. And so it was a lot slower going in that way, but overall it allowed us to accomplish what I believe the Lord set us out to do, which is to plan other churches in other areas by starting in this particular Area uh, and the second part. What was the second part of your question? It was two parts there.
0: <laughs> well, let let me uh, let me kind of stop there because I want to maybe okay. de- demystify the way that we view the Holy Spirit's leading. Okay, you mentioned something I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. You evaluated the need in the country and you evaluated kind of where you would begin based on demographic, based on what would be produced. And you also had a long-term vision, right? You were looking to starting multiple churches out of your church, which is an ex- a terrific approach to take. There's all kinds of different approaches to take to getting churches planted and then multiplying churches. Um, and the approach you took would require you to maybe be in a more affluent area and to reach people. And so can you can you describe a little bit, maybe is there some tangible evidence to how you evaluated just using common sense evaluating the demographic and the need and cultivating a vision for what you wanted your church to be couple that with the holy spirit's leading so i guess my question is does the holy spirit lead you and then you make these decisions or do you make decisions and then seek the Holy Spirit to confirm it, or is it kind of both? Uh, in your experience, how did that work hand in hand as you're being guided by the Spirit and making these assessments?
1: Well, I think obviously the Holy Spirit, and this is one of the things I was going to talk about as well, is you know when you set out, uh, and and you know Josh and I are giving our experiences uh, today. I was reading online, some social media, some friends I consider. Uh, just great missionaries of the faith who have started tremendous works for the Lord's help, and so I don't want to come across as like we think we have it all figured out. We are we are giving you our experience, but um, I do believe all these missionaries who've been greatly blessed by the God would say the same thing. You start out with much prayer and seeking godly counsel, and that's just it's very biblical. And so once you've spent time and you feel like you've got an idea of a culture and some someone has kind of clued you in, other missionaries, other national pastors. You've seen how uh, it, it has been successful in the past, spiritually speaking, how the Lord is blessed. And so that's what we did. We were able to look back and meet many missionaries and other church planners who were nationals and to see, you know, they have a Bible institute, for instance, in the capital. And, but they, they started in a more affluent area, so not only could they have a centralized place, that's a big enough building where people would feel comfortable to come to to do Bible training, let's say, at a Bible institute. But also, uh, they could also support missionaries in a more affluent church and send them out. And so we saw those as, that's the wisdom of the Lord through godly counsel, in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, tangibly, yeah, I would say that we saw good examples in the past, not only here in the Dominican, but in other countries. And we said, that seems like a good pattern. And here are the three or four practical reasons why. Let's see if we can put that into implementation in our work.
0: And of course, the proof is in the result, oftentimes. And so, you... Took this plan you began to implement a plan now God has led you to where you're going you're getting ready to launch out and uh, we had a very similar experience with seeking just how we wanted to develop a plan to get our church started and then just seeing how God would confirm that plan and I'll share more of that later one of the things that stood out to me in the Bible as I was studying the book of Acts and those are two things I recommend to anybody about to get a church started if you're gonna plan a church pray Day. always pray, always be developing the mind of Christ and seek to know the prompting of the spirit. As you learn to listen to that still small voice and the prompting of the spirit, that will be essential as you're making decisions. But then read the book of Acts. I, the first two years of our church plant, I read the book of Acts every day, one or two chapters a day for two years and just kept reading it over and over and over again as i was trying to develop the mind for planting a church and one thing that always struck me in the book of acts was when the apostle paul was seeking to go to asia minor he wanted to go to bithynia he wanted to go into these places and the bible said the holy spirit suffered him not the holy spirit didn't allow him to go and it hit me one day i was thinking how is paul making his decisions here is he being guided by the spirit or is he making his own decision and then just trusting god with it And to answer the question, he was being guided by the Great Commission. He was going where the need was greatest. And he saw a field, he saw Bithynia, and he said, there's no churches there, I'm going there. And then the Holy Spirit said, well, right. that's a great plan, but I got another plan for you. And so I'm gonna guide you in this direction. And we, I realized early on, y- you've gotta strategize, you've gotta make plans and begin to implement those plans, but then always let the Holy Spirit guide you and be flexible to change. So now that you have... have Prayed. Uh, you're seeking the Lord. You sought counsel. You've implemented kind of your strategy. Now you're putting it into practice. So, what are some of the practical aspects that you you implemented just to get your name out there to let people know what you're doing? And then the first few contacts you made were the first few people you began working with in your city before you got to your big church launch. You know, the big church plant day. Um, Were they Christians? Were they already believers? Or were you working with kind of a mix of discipling unbelievers and trying to evangelize them? Um, What was some of those early days? Where would you go to do your evangelism? How would you get the word out? And then... um, and then, who were you working with in those early days before you get to the day where you had your first big Sunday meeting?
1: So, I believe I might have mentioned this in the very first podcast, but basically, when we first got here, I mean, we didn't know anybody. So, we're trying to everyone you meet. I mean, you're the guy at the uh, at the grocery store or the gas station or you know the place you're buying your uh, or paying your bills. I mean, you're everyone is a stranger. So, you're meeting everyone. You give them a track. You're telling them you're new pastor in town. But specifically, the best contacts we probably had early on were downtown. In most Latin countries, uh, the the hubbub of the city kind of starts from the beginning. There's usually a, a main um, thoroughfare, a couple thoroughfares, and there's also going to be like a main par- city park. And so that's where I would go and pass out tracks and talk to you know, Shushan boys. We'd talk to guys who were taxi drivers, uh, people who were just really <laughs> maybe had nothing better to do. And so it was just a great opportunity for me, one, to evangelize and to do it in uh, a language I was still learning. And uh, and then if somebody was open and, and they had made a profession of faith, I'm like, hey, what do you think about going through this little book? These are, you know, basic steps for new believers. And so I just, anybody who would listen, <clears throat> I tried to be very um, open with the gospel and just practice my Spanish and knowing that. Really, the people who probably give me the most interest were people who probably had a lot of extra time on their hands, because who knows what this gringo is actually trying to say. Uh, But the first contacts were people who did not know the Lord, and uh, that was very fresh. And to this day, it's still very fresh to really spend our time. I would say the majority of our church are first-generation believers. There are some people who've come from uh, other backgrounds that were believers before, but the the large majority of our church has always been people who uh, didn't know the Lord, get saved, and now we uh, get the wonderful joy of growing in a Christian environment. And uh, that can be messy, but it sure is a lot of fun.
0: So as you're uh, cultivating these contacts, you know, you're you're seeing souls begin to get saved your your church hasn't started yet, but you're in the process of getting the church launched. And so lead us up to that day. Where did you make a decision to meet? Did you begin uh, meeting early on with those you were discipling? Uh, did you have a place where you would meet? Did you meet in your home? And then when you were going to begin the actual church services, how did you decide where you would meet as a church, what went into that factor? What are some of those practical aspects of, did you have everybody you met, you know, into your home? Did you have a place to meet? Did you, you know, how did you cultivate those contacts? And then how did you lead up to deciding where you would actually have a church meeting?
1: So um, there's so many options for everyone. Every mission field is different. For us, in our case, we were very blessed to have a very secure and safe home in a gated community. Um, You wouldn't believe how cheap the rent was compared to where I had lived before, but with our experience in language school, we had been robbed. I was very um, dedicated in my heart to have the safest place for my family. So that being said, I certainly had no problem inviting people to our home, but unfortunately, uh, I think our neighbors, especially with... um, Let's just say the, the the wide swath of people I were meeting, uh, they would not have been as excited about me inviting just anybody and everybody into our, our neighborhood. So I knew early on that we're probably going to have to find a third-party location. Now, early on, I would meet anybody in the city park, and that's where we would do a lot of discipleship, and that's where we met and led a lot of people to the Lord. But early on, we knew we were going to need a third-party place. And so we started looking you know, for houses to rent or storefronts or schools or meeting halls, anything like that, abandoned stores, vacant places. And so the Lord allowed us to find uh, a storefront on the main thoroughfare in a plaza on the second floor. And we selected that one, one for location, because it would be very easy to tell people where it was located. And two, because on each side, this was one big room that we knew could serve as a a congregation, uh, I mean, as a church that could probably seat 70 people. Uh, But on each side of this storefront there were other vacancies and one of the rooms was actually divided into two and I had in my mind if things went well and it stayed unrented that we could rent that right away and that could be you know kids class office storage and so with that and asking the Lord to make sure that stayed unrented we went ahead and, by faith and rented that storefront on a main location and I'll say this we knew from the very beginning that it wouldn't be cheap uh, it was quite costly even 12 years ago But we wanted right away to have a good location that was safe and we could tell people. And the hopes would be that within a few number of years we could build a congregation and then we could move off the main road some and to a much cheaper location. But we really wanted to start with a really good location. And so that was with prayer and actually seeing other missionaries and their examples and, and telling us, through their positive examples and their positive stories that happened, and negative as well. And so um, through lots of just prayer and then seeking counsel, we said, this is where we're going to go. And so we rented our storefront.
0: When did you feel was the right time to begin holding regular Sunday services, uh, traditional services? And so you, you said you had your church come down, you had a big promotions, got, you know getting the word out. And how long was it from the time you arrived in your city until you began and like we said earlier this is personal experience it may be different from everybody but kind of what what went through your thought process and when you felt it was time to get launched out and what went into that into getting that uh started
1: so real briefly i think i might have mentioned this a little bit earlier in another podcast but basically uh, we originally thought we were going to come and start uh, we were going to work with another couple couple for about two maybe three years before we went to our city and started well in, as we were in language school, we saw that wasn't going to work out. And we did some other counsel with other missionaries, basically asking them if they thought it was a good idea just to go straight to our city and start our church. And we got a lot of great encouragement on that. So by faith and by good guided counsel encouraging us to do so, the year before we actually set aside the day and said, you know, by God's grace, unless he closes all the doors, we're going to start our church on this day. Now, this is a year before, or six months before we even moved there. Um, and so we kind of had a target. Now, things can happen where God just says, that's not the wisest idea. But in our case, he just allowed it to continue to go forward. So we get there in February. We start meeting people. We get our homes settled. Um, now, we'll say this. Not every place you can get is settled as quickly. And let me just put this in there. Dr. Uh, Don Sisk, a friend of both of ours, um, was has been very good over the years telling missionaries. And what he told specifically, another missionary friend of mine, he said, when you get there, don't you... You know, basically do anything until your wife is 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 set up, and she is basically you know able to have her home the way she wants it for now. Before you start concentrating on ministry, and we did work very hard on that the very first few months. But once we got that set up, we started evangelizing, meeting people, and starting a Bible study. And so we just had our target, and you know we had our target with those who were coming to visit us, and we said, Lord, unless you change it. We just want to have a target to go towards. And I think there's some wisdom in that. But I think that comes through much prayer, supplication, understanding your city. We had spent a lot of time in our city. We had spent a lot of time in language training. And we felt like, you know, it will be small. It won't be big. It won't be grand. But it will be something. And something is better than nothing. And so that's what we're going towards. So that was our our experience. And I, I encourage people that sometimes... We can be fearful, and for us, it was to kind of put something a carrot in front of us and say, go towards that. Obviously, God can close doors and change directions, but you know, sometimes we just have to have a goal to go towards, and that's that's how it was for us. And so we, we said, you know, this is what our goal is going to be, and we're going to try to hit it. So
0: it's not always uh, easy, you know, when you're getting a church started. There's ups and downs for sure when you when you get to a city and you see that god is already at work there and that's what we discovered here is um and this is what i try to tell missionaries if you're going to a country especially where there's no missionaries or wherever god is calling you get plugged into what god is doing you know find out what god is doing and um and just run forward with that Uh, see where god is at work uh, in people's lives so the question I want to pose to you is, with all of the ups and downs in church planning, of course, there's a lot of exciting times. I'm sure your first Sunday was an exciting Sunday. Uh, you had lots of people out, I'm sure, a big build-up to that. And uh, there's different ways of doing a major launch. We never had a big launch Sunday, um, and I'll I'll share a little bit about our experience, I think, on the next episode. But that being said, what was that feeling maybe the next Sunday or the two Sundays after that. And what I want to lead into is my next question is what were some of the biggest struggles in those early days? Because I I have a feeling, I didn't talk to you about this yet, but I have a feeling it has to do with church attendance, maybe on the Sundays and just seeing people get faithful on on the first days. But maybe you had a different experience. What were some of your struggles in the early days? And then um, kind of that momentum of the first Sunday, where did you see that take you?
1: Uh, Well, you know, it's like if you go to the ocean and you catch a really big wave and it comes crashing down, right? (laughs) So, you know, that's what it was like that first Sunday. It was terrific, a wonderful, great experience. You finally kind of maybe hit that first goal marker you had set, and there were a lot of people who came out, people who we had met over the previous few months, and so we were very excited about that. And as you mentioned, the next subsequent weeks uh, were actually less and less people and you know I think the shine wore off obviously they started listening to me preach more and uh, try to understand what I was saying and that's always you know I have no idea there are some people actually who were from the very beginning who are still in our church I love them more and more over the years realizing how patient they were with with us especially with me I can't imagine what my Spanish would have sounded like 12 years ago, and the fact that they would stick around and listen to me preach, I'm thinking, I don't know that I would be that same kind of person in a different environment. So um, just seeing uh, you know, people come and visit and see the church and then basically kind of saying, eh, I don't know about that. That's very difficult, and there's a lot of that in the beginning of a ministry that you'll have people just for the sheer fact that you're an american if we're talking to americans who are starting churches that there's a, just an interest level to check it out and see what's going on but realizing you're not going to be the cup of tea for a lot of people and that takes a while to get used to that you know lord i i know i'm i believe we're doing this right we're preaching the right Uh, you know, the right message. We're we're trying to have the right spirit. We're trying to work hard at it. And people are coming, but Lord, why aren't they staying, you know? And uh, that takes a while to get used to, and it can be a struggle, and you have to realize the Lord's put you there. You didn't make a mistake. It's His Word, and you just be faithful to it, and eventually... There will be a group of believers that are saved and baptized and growing in the Lord, and it will become a core. But boy, uh, one uh, Dr. Creed, who was our director, um, he said, you know, when you start your church, you need to think of the first couple congregations almost like scaffolding. That th- those people are coming for a time, and they're helping you build what is going to be your church. But you t- ultimately, you take away that scaffolding, and what you have is very beautiful. Uh, but sometimes that scaffolding, you know, that doesn't stay around. And we saw that, and that was so true in our church. Uh, people who stuck around for a while and maybe were even believers who helped other believers and helped them get to another level, and then they went off. And so that's kind of how it went, for early, not only just the first few weeks, really the first few months and maybe even years.
0: This question kind of goes hand in hand with discouragement, because when you when you see some of those struggles in your early days, it can be discouraging, and you can go through emotional ups and downs. And what pastor hasn't, gone through those emotional ups and downs of, you know, low church attendance one week and this and that. But that this will transition to the next question. A lot of missionaries, and I, I think the men especially, the the church planter, uh, the man who knows he's called to go and plant a church can get discouraged by the results and not seeing the results maybe he expected. So as you're going through some of the struggles in the early days of the ups and downs, how did you gauge success? Okay. And I'm using that word in both trying to spiritualize the term, you know, in a both materialistic and spiritual sense, how did you gauge success? How did you analyze that? This may be an up and down. We may be discouraged, but it doesn't mean we're not doing the right thing. Um, Did you question at all your approach anytime? And when you question it did you also in your struggle how did you come to the realization that what you're doing is right like you mentioned I'm just being faithful to what God's called me to do so how how did you gauge that success in those early days so that you stayed encouraged and didn't want to give up and go home
1: you know it it wasn't always easy to be able to quantify what what was successful because like you say you know sometimes you'd have a big day I mean we know I'm sure it's like this in other cultures as well, but especially in in our culture, it's like this. If you have a big day where you're going to maybe serve a meal or do something special, I mean, we we inevitably could have a really great crowd, and we would be encouraged by the even the number of visitors that would come out, and and you would say, well, Lord, is that a success, or is the next week when two of say 15 visitors come back? And so it was it was actually a, a kind of a moving target, uh, but ultimately. I looked at success, I believe the Lord directed our hearts to look at success as continuing to be faithful, to be encouraged, to stay faithful at evangelism. So much of church planting in the beginning is evangelism, because you're just, especially if you're in a city where there's little to no gospel witness, you're just trying to let them understand uh, the, the plan of salvation, the good news. But then also it is understanding that maybe you had a chance to go through six discipleship lessons with someone. You're confident they understood the salvation when they were baptized, and yet for whatever reason, maybe it's music, maybe it's other reasons, they just don't stick with you. And you look back and say, you know, Lord, maybe I have prepared someone uh, to a certain point that they'll go to another church or another place in the city, and they'll have a they'll have a you know an outreach some some way. And so it's constantly moving, and I think. To say it's numbers, you will most people will be highly discouraged from that, although we can be encouraged by big days, um, especially if they're visitors who get to hear the gospel for the first time. But honestly, I think it's just to be encouraged that, hey, you know, we're here another year. We see more people knowing the Lord than did the year before. More people being discipled. More people being baptized. More people growing in their faith. Those, those are the successes we're looking for. That's how it was for us in the beginning.
0: What are some things looking back now that you've been there 12 years, what are some things that, and I'm throwing this on you, I didn't throw this in my questions that I said I'd ask you. So if you can't think of anything off the top of your head, that's okay. We'll move on to the next question. But looking back, what are some things maybe you would have changed? Maybe you would have done differently, or maybe things you would have implemented that you didn't, that maybe you ended up implementing later. Um, I'll give you a minute to think of that. So maybe things you would have changed, things you would have thought of, what, what comes to mind?
1: You know, I think looking back now, um, probably would have done a lot of the things the same way. But I realize, and it seems so simple, and maybe even just hard to believe that a missionary is going to say this, but one of the hardest things that's always been for us to get established is actually not Sunday morning. That's kind of in the culture. Is more of the midweek Bible study. And I think that's probably true in most churches, even in America. You know, you probably at least attended service. But we really wanted that to go well. And we tried everything and gimmick and, 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 you know, program to get that working, and it just never seemed to take off. And do you know what really seemed to really get that going it was literally just making sure that we spent time doing prayer circles, and men with the men, ladies with the ladies, at not having a, a long message having just a few songs, but spending quality time in prayer. And I can tell you that in the life of our church, it has never been stronger with the unification. People who come from all kinds of backgrounds, even some of different races, that when they sit in that circle together and share prayer requests, and men pray with men, and older men pray with younger men, and ladies pray with ladies, and ladies pray with girls. And it seems so simple, but I think if I could talk to my younger self, it was just say, hey, start doing the simple things you know that work right away and you might see maybe not the biggest uh, numerical growth but a deeper closer spiritual growth and so that's probably one of the things i'd say I i would look back now wish i had done a little quicker
0: that's excellent. It's, it's kind of like being a parent, right? You look back and you think there's things I would have done different with my firstborn, but by the time you get to your third or fourth kid, uh, you've kind of got things worked <laughs> through a little better. And uh, if the Lord begins to expand your ministry, you can implement those things in other church plans. Well, I got a few more questions I just wanted to throw by you that a couple of them are popping in my mind. Uh, a couple of them I've written down. What materials did you use I- resource-wise for your church plant, um, your discipleship courses? Did you come up with your own? Obviously, your messages you're going to preach, but how did you decide? What you would emphasize in your preaching your first few years, and then did you have any specific resources and materials that you used? And of course, this is coming from a Spanish, you know, resource, so you might have a little more resources than what we would. But what were some of uh, the practical things you implemented to engage people in their spiritual walk and growth?
1: So, we are very blessed to be uh, in a Spanish speaking country where there are much resources available, many resources available. And especially in the last 12 years, even more. And so, for discipleship, um, there were various different things we could use. The first thing we had was something called the Spanish A to Z. That was very detail-oriented. It wasn't just Spanish. It was called the A to Z discipleship. We had it in Spanish. And Early on when it was sometimes more difficult to nail people down to have specific discipleship or if we had ladies in the church to be discipled and Holly couldn't do it and obviously I wouldn't go do it, we actually implemented discipleship. It was basically our first Sunday school. So Sunday school was basically discipleship. We'd take baptism. We would take security of the believer and things like that and we would give out the printouts and go through them because the people were pretty faithful and we could disciple a number of people uh, in that way. And then um, uh, Daily in the Word was what was called then um, – Striving Together had a lot of Spanish things coming out that was helpful. They, uh, Carrie Schmidt had written a book called uh, Done, which was translated in Spanish called Echo. And that was, to this day, still my favorite gift to give out to a new uh, visitor. We could get it on discount for a dollar and a half or two dollars. It was a great book that just really cleared out, clearly laid out the difference between Christian uh, Christianity and the other religions of the world. And so those were some of the resources we had. Um, as far as preaching goes, you know, those first three or four years, we just preached the gospel because people were confused about the gospel. Had didn't know the gospel or were confused about it. Even to this day, we preach the gospel almost every service because of the religious um, roots that are here. Even good, strong Christians to this day who are, I know are, are, are believers. There are still confusions because of the religiosity of this country. And so, Preaching the gospel every Sunday uh, was what we did before we started getting into uh, books of the Bible.
0: Even What are um, some ways you're mentioning, you know, you address the gospel and that's what that's what's going to build the church. There's no other foundation that anybody can lay except for Jesus Christ. Then you just emphasize Jesus. But it does help when you're a missionary learning the mindset, the worldview, the misconceptions of the people you're reaching because you can communicate the gospel and that is the power of God to change lives. Whether we're competent in our you know, our, our own abilities or not, it's the power is in the gospel, but it does help when you can address specific issues and miscomprehensions that people have about the gospel and Jesus. So, for your experience, how, how did you learn about these misconceptions? Was it just through, uh, did you have anything you studied? Was it was it just living there? Was it interaction with people? Well, how how can a missionary learn the world view of the specific region of people group that he is
1: reaching? Well, one of the things I think sometimes we maybe don't hear, and I talk about our circles, Independent Baptists, um, Fundamental Baptists. You know, when you get to the mission field, I'm sure you feel this way, Josh, especially because we have probably more what we'd call evangelical presence here. But, you know, somebody who's not exactly our stripe as a church, who would be a believer, but you're not going to invite them to preach, you know, they're not our enemy. You know, they, they are on the same yeah. team. I call it Team yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And you want to have, especially in the city, you don't know anybody, you want to have as many friends as you possibly can have. And I remember early on having a lot of meetings with a gentleman at lunches, and he was never going to come preach at my church. He was very Pentecostal, but a super nice guy. And, you know, having someone who's willing, who already understands maybe from a biblical context what it means to trust in Christ, we have a lot of doctrinal differences, but he's going to be able to clue you in as a foreigner on the mindset of the people in your town. And that was very helpful. I can think of a couple of specific gentlemen who were early on really kind of helped me clue into the Dominican mindset and understanding, you know, evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, Catholic mindset. And that was helpful. And so I encourage you... Make friends with other Christians. There, you can be at hands, you know, at arms length as far as wh- where you're going to meet with your church. In fact, this gentleman had an English, uh, English institute, and often we had a good friendship. He wanted when we had Americans to come, and he wanted his students to come talk to these Americans, and I would invite him over, and we would have an impromptu, uh, you know, service, and we got to preach the gospel to 40 kids learning English right away. And you know, I didn't invite him to come preach; I did the preaching. Um, but by through that friendship, I was able to un- understand a lot about the culture that way.
0: Yeah, that's so important. I would agree 100% with that. There were specific people – We made contact with some were believers, and even some were unbelievers that were just open with their culture, Mm -hmm, especially mm -hmm. those who had been abroad. Um, If I would connect with somebody who had spent some times in the states, or maybe they spent some time in Canada, they could uh, articulate a little more uh, better than most our perspective of being a foreigner and how we can gain some insight into their culture. Um, I'll also recommend if you're a missionary going to West Africa, look up the book, African Friends and Money Matters. And that is an essential book to read as you are uh, getting prepared. Ask the missionaries on your field if there's books or resources that help give insight into the people and the mindset. But like Eric said, uh, you just make those friendships and uh, cultivate those relationships so that you can get a better understanding of what you're dealing with and where you're at. Well, I wanted to, I'm going to finish up with one question about how you prioritize your time, but I wanted to, before I get to the last question, one other question, and again, this is one I'm popping on you that I didn't really uh, uh, give you in in our prep for this, but at what point in your church planting uh, ministry, and you're still involved in church planting ministry, right? Um, At what point in the process of planting your church and cultivating your church, did the, at what point did uh, the thought process of sustainability uh, play a role in your decision-making? And what I mean by that is all of us missionaries would like to think we're going to be 25, 30, 40 years on the field, but the truth is we don't know when we may have to leave the field they could close our field tomorrow and kick out every foreign missionary so you have to always have in the back of your mind sustainability right. will this church sustain itself when i leave and i'll say this before you answer i had one pastor say to me he said josh i, don't, I just don't get this furlough thing i could never be away from my church for an extended period of time it would fall apart and I, I thought I didn't say it to him because he's much older than I, but I thought, as I was processing that thought later, I thought, well, if your church is not ready to continue, what if you drop dead tomorrow? <laughs> is your church going to fall apart? I don't, we need to always, whether we're in the states or whether we're we're in abroad, always be thinking, is this church going to be able to be sustained and continue without me? So my question is, I'm trying to give you some time to you know, gather your thoughts. When did that become a part of the decision-making process where you thought, okay, I have to make a decision here, but how, will this be sustainable if I have to leave next year or next week or in two years? does that influence your thinking and how early on did it and, um, or is it not yet something that really uh, you've put into the process?
1: No, I would say from the very beginning, uh, especially, I think if you remember this, Josh, I don't know if you remember this, but we were together in a, um, right before we went to the field, BIMI had a church planning conference for the men. Right. And we had a testimony of one of the veteran missionaries who had been there like 40 years. And I think this is basically one of the questions they had. And he was talking about how, how blessed the ministry had been in 40, 50 years and somewhere in South America. And yet at the same time, basically it was kind of hinging on him uh, financially. And if he left that day or if he dropped dead, it was going to have some severe struggles. And that that really resonated with me uh, to, as we would launch out, to make sure we tried not to be so relied upon. Now, in the beginning, especially the first couple years, it was a necessity. I mean, we paid a high rent. And from the very beginning, un- kind of unbeknownst to some of the church members, what I started doing was I just took every single offering they gave, and we saved it. And we paid all the bills. And so in the first couple years, I mean, you're building a congregation. It's not a lot of rent. I mean, every year it might have been four or $5,000. It wasn't a lot. Um, not rent, but uh, offerings. But the mindset was, when we were ready to buy a piece of property, I knew that much money wasn't going to buy all the property, but it was going to be a good chunk. And so when the day came, I said, listen, the Lord has supported us through these churches for these number of years with the idea that right. you guys would eventually be able to pay for everything. And so we saved every nickel in the first four years. You've saved something like 25000 $30,000. Someone else has given us some money, and they had, and with their money and the money you saved, what do you think about buying this piece of property? Well, instantly it was a connection like, wow, this is ours. And there was sustainability because from day one, our commitment was no uh, debt, no debt. We'd see missionaries had to leave the field who died. And so from day one, when we bought our property, we bought the property, we paid for it, and then we saved until we could start building. And then, so constantly we're thinking, especially finances. Now, as far as leadership goes, We, every time there was a potential leader, we would go invest as much time in that potential leader. Uh, Pastor Ari Amparo, a young man who came to our church from day one, it was just obvious he was going to be a preacher of the gospel. We invested our time in him, with training him. And I hoped he would be my assistant for a number of years and take over the, the pastorate here in our first church. Well, the Lord had placed his own area where he grew up. He said, Pastor, I need to start a church there. There are no churches. There are no churches that are preaching the gospel there. Well, you got you know, a missionary. How can I stand in the way of another missionary? <laughs> and uh, so we send him out. And then Pastor Elias, same thing happened. I kind of had my eyes, hey, he's the kind of guy. We will train him up. Same thing. Pastor, I'm from this area. We need to start church there. So we're still in that process. But, you know, even as a church, we started supporting them at a higher rate. Like your, your, your home church would support you right. at a higher rate. With the idea that if we leave tomorrow, because we help supplement and give them some, but if we leave tomorrow, the church here is strong enough and more affluent enough that they can help supplement then. So those are some of the steps we had ahead of time, that with debt, just so that if tomorrow, and we have had people, we know that two days later after hearing a diagnosis of cancer had to leave, Hmm. it can be sustainable for the future.
0: That's so important, and we'll probably spend another podcast where we discuss those a little more in depth in, um, you know, sustainability, cultivating an indigenous church, things like that. But let's kind of wrap it up here with... um you know as you're as you're continuing you get into the groove now the church is going souls are being saved one thing i noticed was we had that early core of believers and there's something that nothing can replace those early days of those that special time with that core group that you work with but as the church begins to grow you lose that intimacy and that connectiveness with that small group and it's natural families grow and so does church families and as the church begins to grow how did you as the missionary and pastor begin to prioritize your time because I know for us being foreigners in Africa um, people view your friendship okay it, there's a stigma that comes with being friends with the tuba being friends with the white guy right now you're you're maybe in a more affluent area than we are and so we're very careful with where we're at with, uh, how public we are with what we do with our finances, things like that. But all that sure. being said, how did you begin to prioritize your time in discipleship? As it began to grow, you can't do everything right. So it goes a little bit with sustainability. You start teaching others also, but what were some of the practical ways that you began to, um, Evaluate that you can not invest as much time in some people um, as you can in others. Where did you begin to spend more of your time as the church began to grow beyond those early days?
1: You know, it's it's funny because this is not something I think. I mean, I am sure there are lots of missionaries who are way far ahead of where I am right now, and it's probably one of the areas that I always want to do better at is the allocation of your time and using it correctly. Uh, a, mission, a pastor friend of ours, we both know that supports us is really great at time management, and there's are things we review all the time. But specifically when it comes to discipleship, in the very early on, it was pretty much anybody who seemed like a good candidate, because we didn't have any others. But as, as things grew, uh, it really kind of had to do with seasons of life. And let me explain it this way. Um, when Pastor Ari and Pastor Elias, and there were some other gentlemen at the time, that we were training specifically for the work, a lot of my time was split up between, you know, being prepared for the Bible messages here, and training those men for the ministry. Now, once those men launched out, and we didn't have as many, we'll say, candidates for uh, being pastors or deacons, I've shifted some of my focus more to just the laymen. And now, in the last couple of years, a lot of my time has been with men's Bible studies, and specifically pouring into them. There's a very well-known preacher I heard one time talking about how he, early on in his church, a very well-known church in America, Um, spent every Saturday just teaching whatever man who wanted to come to church taught them on doctrine. And so years ago, I started having men's Bible studies. We tried to do them weekly. They're not always weekly, but we're going through books of the Bible. We're going through doctrines, just getting the the congregation, the leadership um, uh, in the Word of God. And so that is kind of that 80-20 principle, if you're familiar with that, spending 80% of your time with 20% of the people, kind of the cream of the crop. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, we spend Mm -hmm. time with people who need help, but I really think sometimes it's seasons of life, because you're not always going to have, I mean, in our case, you're not always going to have preacher boys ready to go. If you do have people who are able to be trained and are qualified to be preachers, my advice is spend your time with them. If you don't have those yet in your ministry, and they're growing up, they're young men in the church, maybe youth, then spend your time with the youth, that's what I do now, and the men. And uh, I think... That's where you see your reproduction. I think most missionaries would agree with that. And so that's kind of how we've spent our time in the second half of this first uh, time on the, on the mission field.
0: Well, I appreciate so much uh, you sharing your experience here. I I know it's going to be a blessing and encouragement to other missionaries. It's also going to be, I think, a help to just the regular, uh, you know, listener who maybe isn't involved directly in mission or church planting, but they know how to better pray now for their missionary. And what, as we close out what's a word of encouragement you would give to a young man, a young family who's on the field. They're saying, Eric, Josh, we're doing what we're doing, what we know we're supposed to, but man, we're just so discouraged. Uh, We're, we're about two years into this thing and it just, I don't know if it's going to work. What, what would you say to them as we close out?
1: If you're confident the Lord has called you to that place and you have obviously um, everything you're doing is what the Lord has called you to be faithful to the work, you know, there are seasons of life that sometimes a little drier than others. Sometimes it takes a little longer to get going. We had a great, tremendous start at one point. We built our building. And then within a few months, our teammates left because of health reasons. And we had five other families move away. And I remember sitting down with our leadership saying, you know, guys, we're not doing anything wrong. We just got to keep doing the same things right. And, you know, within a year, we saw a great renewal in the church with numbers and with spirit. And so just stay faithful and the Lord will bless.
0: Amen. And I would just add, when I got through days where I was discouraged, we passed out 100 John Romans one morning. This is a Muslim country passed out a bunch of John Romans. Everybody was taking them who came into our center. They would leave with a John Roman. And I was excited that all these Muslims were taking a Bible. And then I locked up that night, came around the corner and every John and Roman was torn up and strewn across the road in our front of our building. And my heart just sank. And I would say anytime, anytime I got to a low point in those first years, I would just drop what I was doing and just go and find somebody and talk with them about Jesus. That's it. Because that's what it's all about. And you just go out and start telling somebody about Jesus. It's going to give you a boost. All right. There's nothing like that feeling of telling somebody who may never ever have an opportunity to hear the gospel unless you take it to them. There's nothing that boosts you more than that feeling of knowing I just had an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody who may never in their lifetime have heard of Jesus if it wasn't for me being here. So don't give up, don't quit, stick to the basics. Get the gospel to people and just trust God for the results. Well, this is Josh Mead over here in Senegal, West Africa. And uh, if you have been blessed by this podcast, get the word out, share it with your friends, uh, share it with your pastor. Let your missionary friends, missionaries you support, let them know about the podcast. And if you have anybody you would recommend that we should interview, send us their name. Uh, we want to hear more from other missionaries and even pastors with a mission heart. And so as we continue to cultivate and this podcast we encourage you leave a five-star review and let people know we're out there and we just want to be a blessing to those who are striving to fulfill God's calling as we share from a missionary perspective Eric I'll let you close out and we'll be done
1: yeah thank you Josh for uh, really interviewing me I look forward to interviewing you next time and see what the Lord has been doing in your life and revitalization there in Senegal missionary uh, God is good And he's called you to a place, he will see that work grow. You just be faithful to him. Thanks so much for spending time with us today.